Hey everybody, welcome back to System of Soul. Chris White here with Benj Miller. Benj Miller. And uh, in today's episode, uh, we had a really cool conversation with Justin Masiri. He's the uh, CEO of uh, Executive Presence, and uh, he is a he. It, well, tell us who he is, Benj. Well, I'll let him introduce himself, but <laughs> I always enjoy talking with him. Um, and in this one, it's just packed. I can't even begin to tell you all the nuggets you can pull out of this that are actually helpful, tangible. You can go build on them right away. But real quick, the three things we run through, uh, we talk about hiring. We talk about getting honest with who your ideal client is and when to not do that, which was super interesting. Hadn't thought about it before. And, um, the last thing we dive all the way into LinkedIn, best practices, how to do it, uh, how to think about it, how to get over yourself. Uh, the tips are endless and you'll get a lot out of it. So, if you're ready, let's go. Three, two, one. Here we go. Hey, everybody. We're here with Justin, of course, Chris White. Justin is the CEO of Executive Presence, and we met on a on a random LinkedIn connection. It was kind of fun. We had a great time, hit it off, and I just felt like the listener of system and soul could use some Justin in their life. Mm -hmm. So Justin, I'm not going to attempt to tell the world what you do. I'm going to save that for you, but first give us one crazy, weird, interesting, little known fact about you. Well, I, I started my career in the Navy on submarines. And so I've spent just over 13 months of my life in total underwater. So never met a mermaid or fought a giant squid, but a lot of time in the ocean with a lot of guys. So <laughs> that's pretty what, unique. What was your longest, um, like, cumulatively, you spent years underwater, but in one single stretch, what's the longest you can do? I, I went 82 days, and if you go 90, they give you a medal. But I would say, you know, of the 180 people on my boat, I don't think a single one of them would have taken a medal to stay out eight days longer, like yeah. get us back home. Okay, so tell me, what happens? Yeah. What happens to, to you when you're underwater? It's, you know, I like, uh, there's a, a phrase from Hamlet that I'll probably butcher, but he says, you know, I, I could bind myself in a nutshell and count myself the king of infinite space. And I always interpreted that to mean like the, the human mind is amazing. You just kind of get used to whatever it is. And I think people think that submarines are like, really tight and cramped it's actually pretty spacious the ones that i were on was on i feel like cubicles to me feel can, more contained than some of these things really but but the hardest part was um you know questions you've never had to answer like how many sticks of deodorant do i need for three months right and you're kind of doing that on everything because yeah, it's not like you're pulling into a 7-eleven and so you kind of have to figure out what you're going to need for uh for three months out there you mean there's no commissary on the submarine they, they sold basics you know and i think there's probably like an underground trading for you know cigarettes <laughs> and things like that I, I do know someone got a bad reputation because they didn't smoke and they brought cigarettes because they knew at the end of deployment they could sell it like 10 bucks a cigarette uh, or something <laughs> but that came back to bite them wow yeah. that's crazy what what did you do on the submarine what was your job so i was um i was i started out in the 
engine room. The back third of the boat is the nuclear reactor and all the machinery. And you go to, you know, I went to a year and a half of school just to be able to be in charge, just, just to go through a year and a half of training to be in charge of it. Like, so three years to be in charge of that. And you kind of start out back there. And, and the joke was, they'd say, you know, shut up and push. Like you'd be talking <laughs> to more senior people. You're like, yeah, just get to the back of the boat and push us through the water. Um, but as you gain seniority, then you move up to the front of the boat where you're on the periscope and you've got weapons and radio and sonar and the fun stuff that you see in the movies. But I was, you know, three years into my journey before I, I really got to do much of that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, Justin, tell the world who you are, what you do. So I run a company called Executive Presence here in Denver, Colorado, and we are a fully managed service for a LinkedIn presence for executives. And you know where that's coming from is that I, like many people, I spend a ton of time on LinkedIn, and I saw that there were people posting who were getting hundreds of thousands of views every single day, five days a week on their content on LinkedIn. And I, as a business owner, thought, oh my God, that is such an asset. When they want to hire, they're going to hire faster. When they want to raise money, they're going to do it faster. When they want partnerships or sales, they've basically built a megaphone to do everything better. Yeah. And I started to realize, look, these people, they don't necessarily have better insights than me or better experience. They had just taken the time to build an audience. And I started looking at the people I really respected who have built up big companies. And I thought that they've got something to say, but they're so mired in building an empire, they're never going to do this. And that's really what I'm doing at Executive Presence is bridging that gap, working with CEOs, executives, VPs who have great knowledge to share. And we've just got a great system that's authentic and efficient to help them be active on LinkedIn and grow their personal following in service of their brand. That's awesome. And, and I enjoyed riffing with you about that and how you do that and all those things. And so I know you get to see, you know, you're building a company yourself, you're doing this yourself, you're helping lots of leaders do this. And so I'm super curious how you're going to answer this question today, but as the leader, what are the three things that you're either wrestling with or thinking about or top of mind right now? Man, uh, number one is is hiring. So um, <laughs> as any small business owner can attest, I'm doing way, way, way more than I should be. And that's not a prima donna statement. It's just, you know, I, there's people who could do a better job at a lot of the stuff I'm doing. And that would free me up to do what I do really well, which is grow things. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a big question for me right now. I'm working with, um, you know, a very limited team and I'm trying to think of how to hire and who that person looks like and what that relationship is going to be like and the systems to support them. And there's just, you know, as you guys know, there's so much that goes along with building a team. And I think the thing that makes it hard is that it really feels like, um, it's going to impact everything we do, the culture, the strategy, the execution. And so there's some fear about misfiring and I've made some mistakes in the past. And so yeah. that's, that's far and away the biggest one. Um, I think the second one is really being honest about who we're a good fit for and who we're not. 
And, mm. and one tidbit of knowledge that I learned from someone that I'll pass on is I was um, meeting with this, this guy, a connection. He, he's grown a successful agency and I was just picking his brain and we were talking about pricing. And he said to me, he said, Justin, until you've got 50 customers, you don't know what your pricing is. And that actually gave me a lot of comfort of realizing like, oh, we're still in the, the relatively early innings right. and I don't really know who makes a good customer and what they look like. And I don't need to know. Let me get to 50 clients and I'll get a good taste of what they look like and who we're not good for. And um, so I think those are two of the big ones. Yeah, that's uh, earning, earning your scars, right? Because, you, you know, your scars are your story. Yeah. And that's all on the front end of that. You know, when you're, when you, you identify that gap, like you said, and then you build a product to service and fill the gap. And then uh, pretty soon you're, you're, you know, okay, what hat do I have to put on next? And you're just caught up in that grind. For sure. You know, it's funny too, because I have a different lens on what you said now too. When you said you're earning your scars, you know, and working with 20 or so different executives and and trying to draw out these stories for LinkedIn, I've realized what you guys probably already know, but it it was an epiphany to me that these scars, these are our stories, like you said. And a lot of times when we're developing these posts, we're we're basically saying, tell us the biggest, most colossal F up you've ever made. What did you learn from that? And, And not only is that the best knowledge they can impart on LinkedIn, it also draws us closer, right? Like vulnerability yeah. draws people in. And sometimes I feel like I'm having to, to kind of train our clients to say, look, the thing that you're most scared to admit publicly, yeah. that's also what's going to create the biggest bridge between you and them. Cause it takes courage to say like, Oh my gosh, I messed this up. It was hugely painful. Here's what I learned. I'll, I'll save you a, a year of pain by sharing this with you. I think it's yeah. also valuable to have a third party like, you know, your team to say, yeah. to say, no, that, that does have value, right? Yeah. Because to share our volume vulnerabilities, you know, just for the sake of sharing our volu- vulnerabilities, that's what we have therapy for, right? Like that's not, yeah. that's not necessarily helpful, but when somebody says that's really good and other people can learn from that, it makes you willing to share it because you want to be helpful to people. And so it takes that third party kind of to validate it even before you ship it. hundred percent. And one of the things that we're getting better at in, in, in our process is not just extracting the story, but asking, so what, <laughs> like, what's the point here? Yeah. Right? What's like, the relevance? <laughs> every post on LinkedIn needs to end with a so what ideally one sentence that brings it home right people don't want to think they don't want to process they want to be spoon-fed ideas so you know Benj, to your point it's like hey here is the story sum it up for me like what did you learn from that oh i learned not to hire someone at 9 p.m on a friday i'm probably not making decisions <laughs> right like you kind of got to bring it home for people that's interesting that you say that because my uh, maybe it's an optimistic desire would be that like, I, I love when somebody shares a thought that doesn't even have a conclusion yeah. because then I get to form my own conclusion, but you're, you're saying, no, people need the conclusion. You've got to connect the dots for them. You've got to tell them what it means. Whereas I'm like, well, that's just what it meant to me. It could, it could be 
more profound or more helpful, more inspiring to them to draw their own conclusion based on their own score, scars, stories, whatever. It's, you know, I don't think there's any definitive answer here. I'll, I'll say that a good number of content that we write ends with a, an insight, a very precise, succinct insight that imparts knowledge. There's a value there. A good number of our posts end with a question, which is like, hey, here is what happened for me. Did yeah. you ever experience something similar? And then you're giving people a voice. So there's a value there. I think that there is moments for that open-ended interpretation, but the lens through which I always view LinkedIn is um, people don't want to be bored. People don't want to think they're scrolling. And when we're in a scrolling environment, it's not like we're you know at the Acropolis in Greece and philosophizing. It's not like we're mm. sipping a beer or smoking a joint and philosophizing. We're, you know, we're in kind of a business mindset and people don't want to, um, you know, they don't want to have things too open for interpretation. So that, that would be my gut feel on it. That's good. Yeah. Hey everybody, Benj Miller here. And I just launched something I'm really excited about. It's called the 261. As leaders, we have 261, maybe more things bouncing around in our head, things we've learned, things we know we're supposed to do, things we're trying to remember to be the intentional leaders that we want to be. We put them on a calendar, mapped them out. There's 261 business work days in the year. And so we're going to send you an email every day with one micro thought, micro action to keep moving the ball forward in your personal life as a leader and for the sake of your business. So will you join us? Go to the261.com and just sign up, give us your email. It's free. You can unsubscribe if you hate it, but I think you'll enjoy the clarity that comes from just one thing a day to pay attention to, question to ask, a thought, an action, an exercise, just one simple thing a day. Here we go. See you soon. Uh, can I, let, I want to go back to your very first thing that was on your mind about hiring and you, you mentioned in passing, not misfiring on a hire and how expensive and painful that is. Yeah. What are you doing to hedge your bet against misfires in this hiring season? So, you know, and I'll share, I'll share some history here. So, you know, my very first company raised a lot of money, hired a lot of people and I was, you know, straight out of business school and out of the military. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so, you know, I, I let go as many people as I, almost as many people as I hired. And so there's some scar tissue there, right? And then the next company that I built, I said, look, I'm going to build a machine with contractors that I can replace in a second. I'm going to have a process and I'm going to have you know, no reliance on people, which is kind of, you know, given my personality, it's kind of a knee jerk reaction. I don't think that was the right answer for me. So as I'm coming back to this, I'm trying to approach this with a, you know, a little bit of a sense of compassion for myself of like, I'm not going to get it right. You know, and, and one of the friends that I meet with on a weekly basis, he had shared with me, he's, he said, you know, Dustin, he's like, we're pretty similar personalities. We don't really know what we want. Here's my philosophy. I put out a job post. I hire someone. I use that to figure out what I like and dislike. That person usually doesn't last. I hire a second person and I've got a lot more clarity on what I'm needing and what works for me. That person, if I'm good, can last. And I just have interpreted that to say, look, 
everything I've experienced in 12 years of entrepreneurship is iteration. It's messing something up, learning, growing. It's, it's you know, tearing muscle and regrowing it stronger. That's right. And so I'm trying to adapt that mindset that's like, look, man, if I hire someone wrong, of course that sucks. And that's the learn. That's how I build the muscle. That's how I figure out my crazy personality and what dysfunction do I need to match my dysfunction to grow this company. And, and, and I think that is more true for the first couple of hires. And then ideally the company is a better process for hiring, but for these first couple ones, you know, if I get 50% right, I'll be pretty happy. You, you bring up a good point because I remember early in my, uh, my first few businesses, um, I was like, okay, I know exactly who I want, exactly what I need, and that's I'm not going to settle for less. And what what happens? You never find that person. Yeah. Right? Yep. And then, and then, I went the other way, and I'm like, okay, just you know, I, I'm embarrassed to say it now, but we need a warm body. Like we just need a body, right? And that was like a a, a train wreck. And so I think my what I eventually learned was, you really don't know. Yeah. You could interview them. You could have them take assessments, you know, the whole hiring process, right? But here's the deal. You really don't know until you put them in your company. Mm -hmm. You can ask them questions about their previous employment. You can talk to them about, you know, principles and values and that sort of thing. But until you really put them in the seat. And and so I, that, I just took that pressure off myself. And I'm like, you know what? We're going to do a 90-day onboard. And I'm going to set a couple deliverables. And if you can meet those deliverables in 90 days, hey, you get the yeah. job and you keep going. Yeah, I love that. I love that too because, you know, when I did usability training for, you know, I used to do a lot of technology stuff, you would see, you know, there was this huge gap between what people say they do and what they actually do. You know, yeah. like someone would say, if I have a if I have a blue and a red button, I always push the red button. Okay, great. And then you put them in an environment and they push the blue button. And you're like, oh, people don't actually realize the way that they behave. So I like that 90 day idea because it's like you really don't know and they don't know until you're in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah. And that's the the I I made a higher I hired a, a young man out of uh, UW, uh, Wisconsin, Madison. And uh, he was in the band for five and a half years. And I said, how come he didn't graduate? Like, like on time. Because the Wisconsin Badger, you know, their band travels. Well, they used to travel internationally, right? They're really great college band. But he said, he goes, I just didn't want to leave the community. Yeah. Like the, the, his, it was his tribe. And, and, and cause he had his degree, I forget what it was, but it had nothing to do what he was applying for. But um, I took a chance cause I just went with my gut and he ended up being great. <laughs> I, I, you know, when I hear that too, I'm like, how do you create a culture like that where the people that work with you are like, I don't want to ever Right leave here because this is my tribe, you know, and I yep. think there's like obviously the benefit of developing people and having them leave the nest, but it's like, what a great tribute to UW that they have that environment where someone's like, I want to continue to pay he, 30 grand a year. <laughs> and he was, you know, he was on the drum line. So he, you know, he was like, I just didn't want to leave. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I appreciated the honesty, you know. 
Hey podcast listeners, this is System and Soul Coach Mark Hateman. I'd like to leave you a tip that is helping my clients achieve clarity and control within their business. The org chart exercise can be a real challenge for a small business. You have a small leadership team serving multiple roles who's required to differentiate between the responsibilities of a role and the who is currently filling those responsibilities within their organization. I find that putting the emphasis on the role and determining what responsibilities and key performance indicators are critical for that role allows the team to determine the who in the future with the additional tools that System and Soul provides for doing so. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Help the leaders listening out there. Like, what are some of the things, just best practices? Like, I I read some stat, I don't know if it's right or not, and it was like 3% of people on LinkedIn actually, like, interact. Not even just post, but, like, interact. And so 97% straight voyeurism on LinkedIn. And some of these people are, like, super smart, right? So there's the whole question of why don't they post and... Is it time? Is it psychology? Is it whatever? Curious on your thoughts. But more than that, encouraging them to become part of the three or 4%. What are some of the best practices? Like if you're brand new at this, what do you do? How do you know when to share? How do you know when to keep your mouth shut? How do you know when to comment? Like what is, what? give us some practical wisdom from your world. You know, it's funny because I, I I work with two of my CEO clients have built a unicorn. They've built a billion dollar company, like ultra successful individuals. And it is surprising to me, given both their success and the stereotype of the, you know, the Elon Musk type CEO, almost every single one of my clients is like hesitant to, to speak up. And part of it is, I don't know what I have to say. And part of it is like, I don't want people to think that I'm, you know, cocky. And so there's this huge psychological impact. And what I have found works best, and I I go back to my Navy roots for this, is that service as a value can literally get you to stand in front of bullets, right? Like if someone is serving something bigger than themselves, they're willing to take discomfort. And so the first thing that I tell the people is to realize you are doing this that seems very self-promotional, that seems very uncomfortable to stand up in the spotlight. You are doing this in service of your company. This has nothing to do with you. You are doing this because if you build a megaphone, you're going to attract better customers, better investors, better employees, all of those things. And so, you know, I think that, you know, not to be harsh, but it's like, get over yourself and your discomfort. This works and your company would benefit from it, even if it's not your natural inclination. Um, The second thing is that, um, you know, you mentioned commenting. One of the things that we found is that about 40% of audience growth doesn't come from posting your own content. 40% comes from commenting on other people and we can go really far down the rabbit hole, but you know, ideally you're, you're commenting on someone with 50,000 or a hundred thousand followers because your comment is going to get a lot more visibility. 
ideally you're one of the first people to comment because then more people will see it. So, you know, if you see a post that has 200 comments, it's unlikely you're going to get much visibility with your 201st comment. So try to be early on that train. And then third, be succinct. Like don't write a paragraph, like try to summarize, try to be really incisive because that's something when someone's skimming, they're like, oh, that's a great point. I'm going to follow that person. Um, Another thing is that a lot of times there's a misconception on LinkedIn where business owners focus on their company profile instead of their personal profile. And I would just ask your audience, like if they have interacted on LinkedIn, I'm betting money they commented on someone's post or liked someone's content, not a, not a company's, right? We work with people we like, not organizations. And so put all of that effort into your personal profile because people want to connect. Uh, one of my advisors says uh, H to H is the new B2B, human to human is the new business to business. And so you're the face and the voice of the brand. And then, you know, one maybe uh, very big comment we can go deeper on is that writing for LinkedIn is different than writing an email, writing a blog post, writing a Medium article. There is a art to it. One, you know, small example, LinkedIn shows three lines of text and they have a see more button. And so if you write a paragraph there, that's not going to really invite people in. But if you write a cliffhanger or something enticing, right? Like I spent a year of my life underwater on a nuclear submarine. Here's the top three things I learned about leadership. Is someone going to click on that? Probably, right? It's using a list, which works really well. It's a story, which works really well. I've drawn someone in. So I see a lot of sloppy writing on LinkedIn, which is like, I've got two minutes before I go grab lunch. Let me just pound out something. It's better than nothing. But, you know, there's a lot of great resources. I'm happy to go in some of them. There's a lot of great resources of the art of copywriting specifically for LinkedIn. So those are, those are a couple that are top of mind. Those are <laughs> so super good. I'm sitting here taking notes. Give me, give me one more. How would you answer this? How do I know what to post? Like not necessarily how and how to structure it and you know, how to make it engaging. But like when I have a thought, should that just be a thought or should it be a post? (laughs) So I'll, I'll give you two contradictory statements. One is pick a swim lane. And then a second one is don't be too narrow. And so I encourage our clients to say, let's, okay, first of all, let's find two to three things that you're going to talk about. If you're just talking about one thing, you're going to fatigue your audience. If you're talking about five things, people don't know what to do with you, right? Like I want everyone in my network and everyone I meet to be like, oh yeah, Justin, he's the guy who helps executives with LinkedIn, right? I want them when they're at a cocktail party and someone says, look, I really need to be more present on social media. Oh yeah, yeah, Justin, Justin's the LinkedIn guy. That's the level of specificity we need. But if I'm talking about politics and I'm talking about COVID and I'm talking about raising a child and I'm talking about mental health, unless I'm tying that back to one or two themes, people just get confused and they don't know what to think of you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're thinking in terms of a Venn diagram, you want this overlap between, first of all, what do you know? Right. Do you know sales? Do you know exercise? Do you know leadership? Do you know, um, 
you know, uh, business development? Do you know marketing? Like, what do you really know? And, and sometimes in that sense, we put so much pressure on ourselves to say like, I don't know more than 99% of the population. Great. You're not Malcolm Gladwell, but if you know more than 50% of the population, that's, you know, what, three and a half billion people you can help, right? So you don't have to be the best in the world. You don't have to be intimidated, but you need to, you need to know what you're talking about. So that's one circle in this Venn diagram. And then the other part of the circle is like, whose attention do you want and what do they care about, right? Like I know a fair bit about long distance running, but if the CEOs that I'm selling to don't care about that, it's not a great area for me to talk about, right? So for me, I know a fair bit about leadership through both mistakes in the military. CEOs care about leadership. There's a good, there's one good swim lane, right? And so it's kind of like coming up with a couple. But but the last thing I'd say on this is you're not writing the great American novel, right? Like don't take it too seriously. This is a very ephemeral media. You can post today and you get, you know, you can get 20 lottery tickets a month. You can post five days a week. That's, tw that's 20 experiments a month to see what works. And, and the reps is how you get better. You're going to refine your voice through practice, but I would encourage your listeners just practice, like consider it going to the gym to do a post on LinkedIn. It doesn't have to be perfect, but the way that you get better is not writing in isolation in a journal. And then one day you're good enough to post. No, the practice is what gets you better and grows your audience simultaneously. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of people talk about the, the personal side effects of that, of you know, strengthening their mind as they strengthening their writing skills. Right. And we, we learn about how the best way to actually know something and explore something is to try and teach it, you know, and in, mm -hmm. in a very micro way, this is a little lab to be, be doing that. I love that. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's such a, it, it's, it's the opposite of long form, right? Yeah. Where, you know, we're just like, to your point, snippets of, two to three topics with consistency. Um, when do people get bored with LinkedIn? Hmm. I, you know, it's a great question. I don't know the answer, but whatever you're thinking, it's a thousand times longer than that. Like I, I, I work with clients. So our goal is to get to five posts a week, every single weekday. Most of our clients post once a month before they work with us. And so when we start with them and we start doing one or two times per month, their immediate thought is like, oh man, people are going to be sick of hearing from me. Like they immediately assume people don't want to hear from them. Or there's pressure like, I got to deliver every time I got, I got to be, I got to be provocative. I got to be entertaining. I've got to bring a topic that people care about. Like yep. that's a lot to think it about. Is. And that's, and that's why, that's why you need a system, right? Like you'll see a lot of people who get excited and this, this applies to investing. It applies to exercise. You people, you see people who get excited, a flurry of activity and it dies off. Like the only way, the only way to progress is daily iterations. And the only way to do daily iterations is to have a process. 
And so that's, I would say one of the reasons people work with us is that they're paying for a process. They're paying for the consistency where they don't have to be consistent. But there's lots of ways to find that, right? Like just like you could probably rattle off for exercise, there's lots of ways to force that. There's accountability partners. There's right. maybe carving out half a day on a Saturday and writing posts for the next month. And now you've got some breathing room. Um, you know, podcasts I'm a big fan of, right? Half the stuff you guys are asking me about, I've never thought about before, right? You're like drawing these ideas out of me. And so we could take this podcast, transcribe it, and now I've got a great starting point for 80% of my content, right? Yeah. I was kind of reformatting it. So there's a lot of different hacks to get there. They're not hacks. There's a lot of um, efficiencies to get yeah. there. But just like everything else, efficiency or uh, consistency is what's the name of the game here. Yeah. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We are wrapping this podcast. Done. And... I am going to do something I might regret, but for the next 30 days, if you're challenged by this and you want to start or step up your LinkedIn game, tag me and I will engage with every post anybody yes. tags me in for the next 30 days. That's I can't awesome. speak for Justin and Chris, but I'm in and I got your back. We'll do this, we'll do this together. So uh, Justin, tell the world where they can find out you more about you, learn about your services, uh, go hire you if they're stuck, whether it's the time, energy, thought, expertise, whatever. There's a lot of reasons to partner with somebody on this. So tell them how to find you. Yeah, our our website is executivepresence.io.com was a lot of money. I, IO was very cheap. So executivepresence.io. Uh, my name is pretty unique, Justin Nasiri. You should be able to find me on LinkedIn or you can email me at justin at executivepresence.io. That's awesome. Justin, thanks so much for spending time and helping out the system and soul community. Thanks for having me.